It's the Breakcast. Breakcast. The PopBreak.com. Breakcast. Breakcast. Listen to the show. Because you're in for the PopBreak.com. Breakcast. Breakcast. Oh, Hello, everybody. I am Aaron Sarnecki, and I am your host this evening, or whenever you're listening, for the Breakcast, the Pop Breaks official podcast. I am joined by my brother and fellow fellow senior writer, Josh Sarnecki, and we are talking about Tropic Thunder, which just had its 10-year anniversary. The movie came out in August 2008. Would you like to say hi, Josh? You know, I'm going to be gracious and I will say hello to our wonderful listening audience. Thank you. So, um, would you like to, of course, Josh was about to spoil, not really, but he's going to give you the synopsis of the movie. Would you like to do the honors, Joshua? I would love to. Um, So, as Aaron said, this movie came out 2008, and it has a pretty star-studded cast. We have Ben Stiller, um, who is not only starring but also directing this movie, um, and we have alongside him Robert Downey Jr. and Jack Black, and they are starring in what is supposed to be in the film a movie about Vietnam. Um, but as we get behind the scenes of this making of the movie within the movie find out that it's all going terribly wrong, that the production is over budget, nothing's going right on scene, and so the director of the movie, uh, played by Steve Coogan, um, decides to throw all of his actors into the jungle, um, and they find themselves in the midst of an actual war zone, um, sort of, as they're um, forced to um, contend with um, a drug cartel um, within the the forest region they're in, and basically the movie proceeds from there as they bounce back from trying to shoot the movie in the setting, um, but also just trying to survive. And it's it's a pretty wacky concept, um, but yeah, that's a general overview of it. I think you did an excellent job of summarizing the movie there. So uh, yeah. It's the 10-year anniversary of the movie. Joshua and I saw it probably in our late teens. Um, We saw it with family that didn't really care for it. It's not really a family movie. You kind of have to know that going in. But, I mean, it is an R-rated Ben Stiller movie. So um, we both enjoyed it back then. Um, Rewatching it, I maybe enjoyed it even a little bit more. What do you – how do you feel about the movie now – 10 years apart from its release? I went a little back and forth. Um, when, I, when I watched the first 10 minutes of the movie, I was astounded by how stupid I thought it felt. Um, and I, and that, I really had mixed feelings about it this time around. I definitely did. I, I guess I went the opposite way. I did not enjoy it as much. Um, and we can go into more detail about you know, what I thought worked and what I didn't think worked this, you know, uh, 
um, a retrospective doing. But the, the big thing for me was that the comedy really wavers from really biting, smart, satirical material focusing on Hollywood and actors and the whole film industry, which I thought was really funny and really hit the mark. And then there was other, just more soft mirror humor that really never sat well. It just seemed really dumb. Um, and it was those parts of the movies where I just kind of want to walk away. But um, overall, I'd say mixed, but I, I am leaning towards liking. Um, but those, some of the humor really just killed it for me. You know, I actually, I can, I can see that actually when you're saying it. Um, I guess because it is a Ben Stiller movie, this is the guy, um, did, I think he directed Zoolander also, but I mean, obviously he starred in it. Yeah, this is, this is a Ben Stiller movie. If you know Ben Stiller's comedy, it is generally pretty stupid comedy. I mean, if you've seen a movie like, uh, there's something about Mary, uh, th- that wasn't something he directed, but he, that was something he starred in. It's kind of stuff like that, you know, like um, there's the scene where everybody's checking out him in the bathroom when he he gets his uh, himself stuck in his zipper, I think, in that movie. So it's kind of if you know that the scene I'm talking about, it's it's comedy like that. Um, but you're but you're right. I think the the absolute best part of this movie is the the satire of Hollywood. I think it's one of the things that has aged the best about this movie. Right. And, and that's something where the, the, the thing about a lot of these jokes in terms of like how well they age, I would say part of the thing that annoyed me the most, I think was I, I know when the movie first came out, the, the fake trailers at the beginning got a lot of praise um, but now, looking back, they do seem really dated, um, especially – and it's hard because it's, it's satirical, but it's also just sort of lazy. Like the the, the one that really got me was the the Jack Black, um, his character's fake trailer. Oh, the, the baddies or whatever? Yeah, I mean the, the, the problem is that – it's hard for me to tell if they're playing it for jokes or if they're playing it for satire. Because if they're playing it for jokes, it's really stupid. It's just a bunch of farts. But if they're playing it for satire, because the whole concept of that trailer in the movie is that here's Jack Black's character um, and his actor, um, and he stars in um, a series of movies where he is just dressing up as different members of the family and they all fart the whole time. Um, and so you, if it's just, if that's supposed to be the joke, it's not funny. If it's supposed to be making fun of the, um, kind of the Eddie Murphy, uh, Medea, those kind of films that um, had started coming out at that time, then I'd say it's somewhat successful as a joke. Um, but... It just seemed really dumb to me, and it was really hard for me to watch. Um, so things like that are what made the movie a little frustrating for me. 
but then once you get into the parts later on where you see the actors talking with each other about the film industry, it's really biting and clever in a way that seems totally different from some of the stupid humor, um, especially some of the conversations between uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character um, and uh, his other cast members just really uh, hit home about the way the uh, Academy Awards work and the way that um, racial casting works. And it, it just, it really hits home. Um, so it, it, you got to just get through that first part, in my opinion, to get to the, the parts that really work. Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, we are definitely pretty far removed from the Eddie Murphy Nutty Professor movies, which I think were the main inspiration of that um, that Fatty's segment. Um, not so much Medea, which hadn't really blown. I mean, there might have been like one Medea movie by then, but it was mostly the Eddie Murphy movies. I'm pretty sure were the inspiration. Um, all right, so um, hmm, where do we go next? I, I guess. I was curious what your opinion was of the because there's that there's the booty sweat bust a nut again talking about the silly humor in this movie um, commercial and then there is the Satan Alley uh, Satan's Alley trailer um, what did what did you think of that trailer this time? Um, I definitely think of the. The, the other trailer we had up front was the, the one for Ben Stiller's characters, Tug Speedman's... Oh, yeah, uh, the Scorcher. Scorcher movies. I definitely think the Scorcher trailer and then um, Robert Downey Jr.'s Kirk Lazarus in Sane's Alley were definitely the best of big trailers. Just because the other ones were, like I said, like sophomore in a probably intentional way, but just didn't hit home. Whereas these other ones very clearly were played for satire, especially the Scorcher ones with Ben Stiller. You know, making fun of every action series that never dies, like a very much a Sylvester Stallone, uh, Rambo kind of feel to it, which is really telling how, you know, the sequel culture that existed even back then and, you know, is especially uh, alive now. Um, you could even but, apply it, I feel like. You could probably apply it to a movie series like Fast and the Furious, even. That's very true. It is very Fast and Furious. This movie is both reminiscent or uh, representative of its time, but also a little bit foretelling of the series to come. Um, meanwhile, the, the scenes out of the trailer, it just, it, it, it's, it's, it's definitely... Uh, a very satirical uh, approach, but the, the thing that's great about it is that it really tackles the idea of Oscar bait movies in a way, where oh, you have this acclaimed character actor going into this movie about a controversial topic, um, and it's all very serious, and it, it's just things like that where the movie knows what it's doing and it works. Um, at least in my opinion. What, what did you think of those trailers? Yeah, no. Um, 
I mean, I, I, I totally agree when it comes to those trailers. Um, you, when you look at the movies that typically get nominated for Oscars, and this isn't necessarily knocking those movies, but a lot of times, especially now that the Academy has 10 choices for Best Picture, they kind of pick the same kind of genres or, or like plots for a lot of the movies. So, uh, like, again, not knocking a movie like Brokeback Mountain, which, you know, most people thought should have actually won Best Picture. But there are a lot of movies that, like, are very similar that get nominated seemingly each year where there's, you know, there's, like, always a World War II movie that gets nominated, it seems like. And because people know that those movies get nominated, they keep making them. And, again, not knocking saying that they're bad movies. It's just, like, it's sort of a cultural it's a system that perpetuates itself. Right. And, you know, even looking at just the, uh, the way they write Kirk Lazarus, the, the character actor played by Robert Downey Jr. They, they say, Oh look, he's won five Academy Awards. He's always, which is never, never, by the way, that's never happened. The most anybody's ever won, uh, an actor is one is three for Daniel Day Lewis. And, and that's the thing. He's very clearly a character of Daniel Day-Lewis and other actors who famously take their roles too seriously. Um, but it, it's, once again, it's, it's funny to see how that movie has kind of predicted, um, even as it shows what things were like back then. Because now you have actors like Jared Leto, who are on the set of Suicide Squad, sending like pig's heads to his castmates because he's in character the whole time pig's heads um like a dead rats used condoms like just if right. if we're supposed to believe the reporting at least right so even though this is satire it's, it's one of those things where sometimes life is as strange as fiction because as ridiculous as robert downey jr's character um getting surgery to be um, in like literal blackface for a film role and speaking um, in you know African American vernacular the whole time, it's still you know it's 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 crazy, but it's it's arguably just as crazy as Jared Leto and his antics. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that's a good point to because I mean there isn't that much to talk about as far as the plot of the movie. I feel like. In a way, the plot is just a vehicle for all of the characters' eccentricities. Um, so we've talked about Kirk Lazarus. Uh, I, I think we'll just put a bookmark in that. We'll, we'll get to him a little bit later. Um, the other – I mean the, the other big names being Ben Stiller. Um, one thing that I was really – I didn't recognize the first time but – Pretty much all of the characters have an arc in this movie. Did you notice that? They do. That, that is... And that was not something I was expecting, even though I'd seen the movie before, because comedies, I mean, sometimes characters have arcs. I mean, I don't know how much of an arc Robin Hood has in Robin Hood Men in Tights, but... <laughs> um, no, I, I would say that every character does, even... The, the minor characters like um, I know we have Tom Cruise playing 
this film executive. Um, but then we also have a, a Matthew McConaughey playing a, a, an agent. And this is really Matthew McConaughey before he hit it big. Yeah, this is pre-McConaissance Matthew McConaughey. This is back when he was still doing bad romantic comedies. Yeah, this is like full gold version of Matthew McConaughey. Exactly. Um, but even even he playing a fairly minor character gets an arc. So, I mean, were you were you impressed by that from the, the writers? I'm impressed in that they found because I don't think again I don't think comedies need to have characters that have arcs to they just need to be funny. But um, I was impressed that they were able to do it that weaved pretty well into the plot of the movie. Um, that being said, I can't exactly tell you what. So yeah, um, you know, like Matthew McConaughey has an arc, Kirk Lazarus has an arc. I'm not 100% sure what we're supposed to get out of Ben's Tug Speedman, Ben Stiller's arc, because um, they, they, the one of the big things is that he has trouble crying in the first scene of the movie. So that's one thing that he wants to master. Then another thing that they try to get into is that he he spends so much time on movies that he doesn't have a real family. And they do get into that because he has a sort of pseudo foster child when he's captured by the drug cartel. And then in the end of the movie, they they kind of drop it and then like it's never it's, it's not addressed in the final scenes or anything like that he doesn't like when he wins his academy award he, you don't see him with like a family or anything like that or like what do you think i thought that his was kind of the most unclear arc i i wouldn't necessarily agree i would say that Maybe not so much that he's a character arc as much as he has a career arc. Because the the big thing, other than the parts you mentioned, were that his career was in free fall after you know making so many of these scorcher movies and then starring in a uh, an Oscar based film of his own, Simple Jack. That his career was really on, on the nosedive, and then at the end we see him winning the Academy Award. So uh, for his you know live work in this making of a movie movie um so that i would say is more of the arc if you want to make another argument you could potentially say that that family arc is kind of tied in with his relationship with kirk lazarus um because you know we have him at the end you know saying you're my friend you're my brother he uh kirk lazarus is the one who gives him the academy award or presents it to him um, and you know you can see how he's very emotionally invested in it for his friend now. So I I think it's it's clear there, but I I wouldn't maybe call it a character arc as much as a career arc. Okay, you, actually, you bringing up Kirk Lazarus and his relationship to Tug Speedman in the movie. Actually, that that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Um, uh, one of the other characters, and I still think he kind of gets the sh- was he kind of gets the short stick so to speak in this movie is Jack Black not that he's not funny but basically he's kind of a one note character 
they don't actually go into him farting as much as he he's one of your typical Hollywood actors who's um, you know addicted to um, drugs and in this he's trying to hide it um, um, there's some good I mean there's some good comedy there but I don't know I, I always thought he was kind of the least interesting of the characters besides maybe I don't know like Jay Burchell I don't know how you pronounce his name like I don't know he he was one of the out of the big three characters he was definitely the least interesting uh, I, I would agree with that his even his jokes are pretty subpar it's, it's really just him going through withdrawal um, which is kind of a an odd thing to be making fun of but I mean this is this is a comedy. Nothing's safe. Um, but yeah, he, he, his stuff really didn't hit home for me. Um, actually, the, the stuff with Jay uh, Baruchel actually was a lot funnier for me, especially because Jay Baruchel is like a consistent B-list actor. Mm-hmm. He's never really risen to stardom, but he's always been on the fringe of it with movies like This is the End. I think he was in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. I think he's the voice in How to Train Your Dragon. I've never seen those movies, but I think he's the voice in that. John Krasinski. What? Is, I thought that was John Krasinski. Pretty no. sure it's him. I'm going to look it up because I don't want to be wrong. But I'm this sure. is about to turn into a How to Train Your Dragon podcast. No, no, you, you were right. He, he does play uh, Hiccup in How to Train Your Dragon. If that's his name, Hick. Okay, you see, I haven't seen those movies. Okay, we, we digress. Okay, yeah, the point is that he's never really hit stardom, but he's actually really good in his movies, The Straight Man, um, to all of the nonsense that goes around with him, which is a very important part for most comedies, and he does a really good job with it. Yeah, I, I, yeah maybe I, I'm not as enthusiastic about him because he is the straight man. But yeah, straight men are important parts of comedies. Um, there is one line, I think it's Kirk Lazarus who says it to him that he says he thinks he has potential and that he might get a team choice award in, uh, from this movie. And then he says they'll slime you and everything, which is actually a reference to the kids choice awards. You know, they ruined it. It ruined the whole movie. I totally took me out of it. No, that was that was the joke, right? Um, but yeah, so he, even he gets a, some comedic turns, even as the straight man. While we're talking about some of these, obviously, there's the big three stars in this. Um, I, I do want to touch on a few of the other supporting cast members because there's some, there's some really big names in here. Um, we mention um mcconaughey um we also have danny mcbride um who's playing the um pyrotechnics expert which i think um well i think in general this cast was it's perfectly cast danny mcbride as a guy who's going to blow stuff up just i I couldn't get more perfect than that right my only thing is i feel i'm pretty insufferable as a character (laughs) yeah well i mean danny mcbride it's not everybody's cup of tea, but... Right. Um, we also had Bill Hader. Um, Bill Hader really didn't do much in this, but it was just interesting to see him in there. He was second banana to Tom Cruise. 
Um, but really, the, the big... Um, I don't know if he's supporting or cameo, how you would list him. Um, I would list him as supporting. Is Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. I, I um, actually have some insight into this, um, how he landed this role. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so I was watching an interview he was doing with somebody... It's about a year old interview. It's not that uh, old. I think it's a BBC or whatever interview. Uh, So he was saying that he he had been friends with Ben Stiller for a decent amount of time. Ben Stiller had shown him the script for the movie. And he said, there's one thing missing. You know, you need you need somebody to represent the studio because studios are always a big part of movies. I mean, unless it's an independent movie, but, um, so yeah, he's like, you gotta have a character who's a studio exec. So, um, he went and rewrote the script and, um, he came back to Tom Cruise with it and he had, you know, he came up with the Les Grossman character and he, Tom Cruise was like, I, I have to play this character like this, this is a role I want to do, and he has to have gigantic hands. Yeah, that was that was his request. Hey. Oh, and he has to dance. So, so Tom Cruise essentially made this role for himself. Yeah, it, it wasn't like who can we get for this role? Oh, I know Tom Cruise. It was this role was made by Tom Cruise essentially. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty wild. I know. I read that they they wanted to keep it a secret that he was in it, and then it was leaked um, to the press. And apparently, um, Tom Cruise and his people got really mad about it. Uh, I would be they- too, because it would have been amazing. I mean, we've had some amazing cameos um, over the years. Um, we've got some good cameos in the past few Marvel movies, um, for example, and I don't think that people knew about them. So I would be upset if I were him. But, but what did you think of Tom Cruise? Uh, yeah, I think that Tom, I think he's a funny character though. I do question if, he would be as funny if, you know, it wasn't Tom Cruise. If Like, is the joke just that this is Tom Cruise as a big, bald, hairy, big-handed studio executive who shouts and swears at everybody? Like, would it have been as funny as anybody else's? You know what I mean? I totally know what you mean, and I would, I would actually even answer to that, and I'd say, no. <laughs> it would not be as funny... If it was anyone else, um, well, not anyone else, but it, it, it's funny because it's Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. A lot of it, and this is my problem with a lot of the humor, is that it's just based around swearing. Like, oh, he dropped the f bomb. That means it's funny. Like, that's really where the humor from his character, Brad's character, and. Um, to an extent, Steve Coogan's character comes from. It's like, okay, they're just angry and they're cursing. It's, it's funny because they're cursing. Like, no, that that is kind of. I will admit that is kind of lazy. Um, it, it's like it, 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 the more the the, 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 the unexpected. 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, where is is supposed to catch people off guard and make them laugh. And it's not that it's not effective; it's just that it's lazy. Yeah, I agree. Uh, swearing is not um, a substitute for good jokes that actually have setups and payoffs. Um, uh, I think scenes that worked better were his his dancing scenes. Uh, there's one, you know, where he's explaining the the G five to Matthew McConaughey's character. And I think that's this is that's actually one of the scenes where um, Bill Hader shines a little bit, where yes. he's in the background. Um, and then he has his line where they they say oh, we don't negotiate with terrorists, and everybody claps. Right, and th- those are the best moments for him because it's it, it's he's actually like, he's more a character. He's not just you know, just this ball of anger and mm-hmm. rage, not really doing anything productive with the the rest of the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when he's the most effective. Um, um, I'm curious, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was based on his appearance and his demeanor. If he was based on Harvey Weinstein, the now disgraced movie mogul for uh, Miramax and the Weinstein Company. I, I, but because I, he, I know that they said that besides all the sexual assault allegations, that he had a belligerent attitude. So I don't know if that was based off him, but that's the impression I got this time around. That is interesting. I I wasn't really paying attention to that, but now that you mention it, I can definitely see that. In which case, oh, this is a this is a very different feel for the movie then at least for those scenes yeah um okay so um i think we talked about all of the characters um one minor character he doesn't get a lot of lines but um i think again very good casting uh nick nolte as uh the war hero whose book this movie is based off of until it turns out to be fake um I mean, he's like your stereotypical, like, grizzled old war veteran. Um, okay, he doesn't have it like a lines. I just thought it was good casting. Yeah, he's fine. I thought you were going to mention um, the Al Pacino character. Oh, Al Pacino's actually... Um, okay, yeah. Um, what's the actor's name? The actor is... Give me a second to find the name. I have Wikipedia up. Uh Brandon T. Jackson. Okay, has he? Well, whatever. It doesn't. Um, I don't know if he's been in anything else. Maybe he has. Um, but um, yeah, uh, Al Pacino's actually. He has obviously, as the only real black actor on the set, he has a lot of animosity towards Kirk Lazarus and. Um, I mean, if you've seen the trailers of the movie and I actually watched the trailers and I feel like they actually don't give it too many of the good lines away. But um, if you did see the trailers, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Kirk Lazarus is, you know, trying to level with him as if he's, um, you know, fellow black um, actor. And, you know, he, he, you know, quotes the Jefferson's theme song to him. So obviously, that's obviously one of the best jokes. That's why they put it in the trailer. 
Um, but even he has an arc in this movie. Um, and he's also integral to Kirk Lazarus arcs, which is knowing who you are. So we mentioned that, um, there's the booty sweat commercial in the beginning of the movie, um, where he's surrounded by a bunch of beautiful women twerking around him. And then they reveal later that Al Pacino is actually gay. Al Pacino, the, the actor, sorry. Uh, Al Pacino. <laughs> I'm trying not to get in the hot water. <laughs> yeah, but no, we, we, we find out that he's um, been closeted. And it's, it's, once again, sort of a good satire of... Uh, you know, what it means to be a, a masculine black actor or rapper um, and how he has to um, really create this persona of hyper-masculinity in order to um, be a successful actor and rapper, mm-hmm. um, but later on revealing that, you know, he, you know, is closeted and that he has to be true to himself. And so in kind of one of the better minor cameos, we have him at the Academy Awards with Lance Bass, who we find out is the, the person he had a crush on. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's not much else to his character. There's that. There's He has a lot of good comebacks uh, when talking to Kirk Lazarus. Um, that's... Let's go back to Kirk Lazarus because I know I put kind of a pin in that. So um, we'll get a little bit into awards talk later, but um, will we agree Kirk Lazarus, best character in the movie? Definitely, yeah, definitely the most effective. He, he has the, the best jokes and his satire is integral to what I think makes the movie work. Yeah, and um, like I said, he does actually have an arc, which is – he plays all of these different uh, roles that he, he almost doesn't have his own sense of self. And so the real Kirk Lazarus, which is even sort of a joke in itself, is um, him. He's an Australian actor with piercing blue eyes, which are obviously fake. <laughs> um, and then there's this scene in the end of the movie where he does like all his different roles saying, I'm not this character. I'm not, um, whatever Osiris from Tropic Thunder. I'm Kirk Lazarus. Um, so that, that's his, his arc coming to terms with, even though he is an actor, that's not who he is. Um, you know, that, that doesn't define what his identity is. That's, you know, I guess that's really the theme of the movie is identity, which is a weird thing to have in a comedy sort of, but they, they, they really make it pretty consistent. It just hits really well with, with his character. Identity and make sure that you get your friend, the TiVo. Yeah, that, that is, is crucial. TiVo saves lives. I, I forgot about that scene, and then he just shows up at the end, Robert, um, or uh, Matthew Connie's character, and throws the TiVo to him. But I thought, I thought it was perfect. Um, Did you... Do you remember, was there 
controversy around Robert Downey Jr. playing this character? You see, I was thinking that, um, and there might have been, um, but I think if there was any controversy, it was overshadowed by the uh, Simple Jack um, movie character that's in this uh, movie. So uh, obviously, um, this is a retrospective, so we're not going to, you know, skip over anything. Um, so one of the characters that um, Tug Speedman played before being in the Tropic Thunder production was um, Simple Jack, which is supposed to be a mentally handicapped uh, ranch hand, I think. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's very much, you know... It, it, it's trying to poke fun of the idea of all of these um, uh, actors playing, you know, people with uh, some sort of disability um, while also, as they talk about in the pretty famous slash infamous, depending on who you ask, uh, full retard conversation where uh, Kirk Lazarus says that, you know, all these actors they'll play these characters that are, that are mentally impaired, but they always seem to have some sort of superpower, you know, whether it's Rain Man who can do all these crazy things with the math. You have Forrest Gump who, you know, is a ping pong champion, who's like a star quarterback, who's a war hero. Um, and then you have a character like Simple Jack who, when the Academy Awards come along, don't get the same recognition um, and that's why you don't go, as the movie says, full retard, um, because that's what, um, that's what, I'm forgetting his name, and I really shouldn't, in the movie I Am Sam, Sean Penn did, um, with his character, who's, uh, um, mentally handicapped, and he didn't win the Oscar, that, that's so, um, I think that, I think there's actually a very important commentary to for people to have. Should it be in this movie and maybe not like somebody just write an article about it? Well, I think that this is where it got the most exposure. So I think this is actually a good place for it. Um, unfortunately, and I will admit this is somewhat to the movie's fault, it gets overshadowed by the just controversy over the depiction of Simple Jack. What do you think? Uh, I think there are moments when they do it in a way that the, the satire gets a little lost. Um, and that, that's always the, the danger nature of satire is that you're, you're trying to show how and um, how these ideas get taken out of you know the respect of others and just where they go and there's times when it gets played a little bit too much so but that, that one speech you mentioned where Kirk Lazarus is telling Tug Speedman you know um that you know these characters always had 
these impairments, but they also had these you know, almost superhuman abilities, and you, you should never go, uh, unquote, full retard. Like, that. that is such a, like, biting, amazing critique of the Academy, while it's also just throwing around an offensive word over and over again, and it's hard for me to tell where it stops being a critique and where it starts being more like we talked about earlier, just using it for the sake of humor. I'm leaning towards it, you know, being, you know, just really effective satire, but there was times when it got a little, little edgy for me. Um, and then especially once you have him in the, the drug cartel village performing the entire movie um, by himself, that's where it's seeming less and less like satire and more and more like poking fun um, in a controversial way. So I know you don't want to get too much into this topic. No, but I, I, I totally, I actually totally agree. I think that it's, it's a part that should be in the movie, but is too much in the movie. And I think that some of the, some of the, just some of the ways they describe this simple Jack character, it just comes off as a little too harsh. You know, they call him, moronic and stupid and idiotic um so uh yeah i i think that while i think it has a place in this movie i just think they should have dialed it down and um when i was reading up on the movie it doesn't seem like they really consulted anybody when they uh came up with it and that's why there were so many you know protests and boycotts about it so yeah, they they should have dialed it down, and if they had consulted, you know, an expert, I think there wouldn't have been as much controversy. Right, and you know, that, that's not to say that we think the movie is being mean spirited, uh, because the, the the thing you always have to keep in mind with comedies is that the purpose that you know it's it's making fun of the way drive. So it's it's not saying that you know the writers think that people impairments you know are moronic as you said, but you know that's just what that character might say, and so you have to set the the character from the, the filmmakers. There's a point when it's just hard to do that, and it just becomes difficult to listen to and watch. So well, it's a very Wrong part of the movie when they well, there's parts when it just overstates welcome or just goes too over the top. Agreed. So um, I don't think there's much else to talk about as far as the plot or the characters. Um, we talked a little bit about the awards buzz for Robert Downey Jr. Um, I know. So I, I was I think it was before I saw the movie when I heard about it and keep in mind this is the same year that Heath Ledger won for The Dark Knight. So I was actually like super angry about it because I'm like okay, like comedy roles typically don't get awards recognition. Um and I kind of thought that the Academy lost their mind. I I'm a little more mixed now because I kind of see where they were going from, though you could make the argument that 
it's actually like a symptom of the things that this movie is saying about the Academy. The fact that they didn't see it as like a very like complex character, you know, who's trying to be black and stuff like that as much as they were convinced that he was black, (laughs) which of course most of the, the makeup was, you know, did most of the work there. His, his voice is, it's an impression, you know, you don't give, awards to people just because they do good impressions i mean it's not like frank caliendo the famous impressionist has a bunch of academy awards but um i do think what maybe if they were actually taking care and looking at it what maybe got him the academy award nomination was um all that plus just um his comic timing and his uh, his facial expressions. What do you think? I agree with that. I mean, the the other important thing to note about this is that it came out in two thousand eight, which is the same year that he played Iron Man. So, or that he he first started playing Iron Man. So, this is really the big year for Robert Downey Jr.'s resurgence. Um, and so the fact that he got nominated that year after playing, you know, in one of the most successful and popular superhero movies um, that's been made, he, you know, this was really the turning point in his career. Um, do I think he deserved to get nominated? Yeah. It's, Let me put it this way. So uh, I believe it was Matt Gilbert who wrote this piece. Uh, we did a bunch of coverage on the Dark Knight's 10-year anniversary. If you just type in Dark Knight in our uh, search uh, bar on uh, thepopbreak.com, you can find all of it. So I don't think you've, you haven't read it yet, have you? Not that one, no. Okay, so he was talking about why he doesn't like the Dark Knight as much. And he made some good points um, – I don't 100% agree with him, Um, but um, so he said, in his opinion, that if we if Heath Ledger had not passed away, that Robert Downey Jr. would have won the Oscar, and I think he's arguing that he should have won the Oscar. Um, I that I'm going to have to disagree with. Um, If you think that. Robert Downey Jr. should have beat Heath Ledger for the Joker. You're kind of out of your gourd, but um, (laughs) sorry, Matt. But um, another thing that he did bring up, which is a good point, is that one thing that, and this is going to maybe a little too bit into the Dark Knight, but maybe Aaron Eckhart didn't get the recognition that he deserved for his portrayal of Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight. And, um, you know, his career never really took off the way it should have. Maybe he should have been the person who got the other uh, the other nomination instead of Robert Downey Jr. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I definitely don't think that Robert Downey Jr. deserved to win for this role. But whether or not he deserved to be nominated, I'm really on the fence about that. Because, like you said, a lot of it is make 
makeup and impression work. Um, but, you know, he, he does such an effective job with it. Um, it's just, I think the nature of the role makes it hard to see being taken seriously by the Academy. Especially when you consider that the, the, the role itself is really a critique of the Academy. Like, that's what Kirk Lazarus says. It's making fun of character actors. It's making fun of the uh, film industry's problems casting diversity. It's, it's making fun of so many issues within film and that world that the fact that they nominated him hilarious because it's, not, it's like they don't get the joke that they're being made fun of um, which is might be the funniest thing of all about this because I mean it, it's is this you know an Academy Award winning performance I don't know is it an amazing critique of Hollywood absolutely Right. Um, well, I think one of the interesting questions you have to ask is, should the Academy Awards be more like the Golden Globes and have it split between dramas and comedies? Because I feel like the problem then is I'm not much of a comedy person. Um, comedies tend to kind of at least big movie comedies tend to kind of go either one way or the other. There are exceptions. Usually there are your raunchy comedies. Those tend to be the most popular. And then you get the kind of independent movie, Woody Allen type comedies that are sort of, you know, quirky or, or, or like Wes Anderson kind of movies. So I feel like not movies being raunchy doesn't mean necessarily that they are bad, but sometimes they feel I feel like they try to push the envelope too much. You, for example, if you um, Anchorman, the first Anchorman is a movie I like a lot. Um, Anchorman Two, on the other hand, I feel like really tried to be edgy with some of its humor with the things coming out of. Uh, Ron Burgundy's mouth, and it's just, it's terrible. So, um, unfortunately, a lot of comedy is like that, and I don't want movies like that getting nominated for Academy Awards. At the same time, I don't want it to just be the Woody Allen, Wes Anderson Award. What do you think? very engaged with the whole award circuit and categories and all of that, so I don't really have much of a uh, beat in the game, but... I will say this, so they split movies in the Golden Globes, but supporting actor is not split by category, uh, like genres. It, it, it's no drama and then comedy, musical. It's only supporting actor, regardless of what kind of movie it is. And that's why Heath Ledger beat uh, Robert Downey Jr. in the Golden Globes like he did for the Academy Awards. Um, yeah, I don't have a definitive answer. Um, I, I Like, again, I, I'm like you. I'm not super into 
awards. I think that having a popular movie that people like is more important than getting an award for it. But I do care somewhat about it. So I don't know. I, I don't have an answer for where they should go. Um, there is obviously, especially now, the, the idea that they're kind of very snooty, you know, voting people. Um, but you don't want them to be too lowbrow also and n- nominate some sort of garbage movie. <laughs> well, I think we're getting a little off, off track here. I, I want to save the Oscar talk for, uh, for Matt Taylor and Marissa Carpico. That, that's know. fair. Good job covering all of that. Okay, um, do you have any other thoughts about this movie? Um, not, not really, just the, the, the one last thing I want to talk about is just how impressed I was by all the effects, because as we've said, again, this is clearly comedy, but parts of it are filmed very much like a real Vietnam War movie would be. Um, everything seems to be, or most of it, a lot of it seems to be filmed on scene um there's a lot of good aerial shots there's a lot of good pyrotechnics and helicopter work so i i was pretty impressed by all of that from a technical standpoint yeah it's kind of weird like the vietnam movie genre kind of didn't last very long in a weird way like our last real vietnam movie was tropic thunder which is a kind of a weird thought but yeah it looks um this is Ben Stiller directing it, and I don't think he ever directed any kind of like action-based movie. But yeah, it's it's actually a very fantastic-looking movie. I mean, that it works. It's a little surprising, as you said, it is, it is Ben Stiller uh, behind the camera. But you know, while I can fault the movie for a lot of the stupid humor, there is a lot to like about it. So even while I am warm on it overall the parts I like about it I really do like it's just some of the humor is just too lowbrow for me to stay invested the entire time so I, if, if anything I would say get rid of some of that lazy writing and really just stick with the, the strong stuff that, that might I mean it's, it's already under two hours this movie but you might even save a little bit more time um, and hopefully throw in some more uh, material that works a little bit better. So if I was rewriting, that's what I'd look for. But um, otherwise, you know, ten years later, it it holds up in some pretty good ways and manages to even reflect our own uh, pop culture period in ways that I kind of wasn't expecting. One final question: Do you want a sequel? Do you? No, I it, that ship has sailed, and I. There are so few movies nowadays that don't have sequels that I think it would kind of kind of hurt this movie if it had one. But I also there's just there's nowhere to go. There's no plot that they could come up with. And I mean, Zoolander Two was not well received. Well, uh, apparently there was at some point to make a spinoff movie all about Les Grossman. Mm, yeah, but like we just said, it, it, the joke is just it's Tom Cruise. I don't know how good of a movie you would get. I'm just saying that's where it could have gone, potentially. Okay, yeah. 
I, I can see that. Uh, what are you, any, any closing thoughts before we wrap this up? Uh, yeah, it's just I was expecting to go into this movie again being ready to rage about Robert Downey Jr. getting nominated and I'm a little more just mixed about it. So I, I think that's what you were expecting from me too. So you're probably surprised that I'm a little more chill about it. Okay, uh, do you want to plug your social media? On Twitter, at Josh Sarnecki. Um, on there, you can find a few reviews of um, Voltron, as well as a few other um, news pieces I have on um, the casting for the coming Star Wars Episode Nine, as well as the return of Star Wars The Clone. Okay, awesome. And if you want to... Uh find me i am at aaron sarnecki on twitter um yeah it's just at aaron sarnecki and if you want to find the pop break on twitter it's at popbreak.com all spelled out and you can find the breakcast on apple podcasts and soundcloud until next time have a wonderful night or day and thank you for listening